Joining us once again to announce the order of the top four picks is NBA Deputy Commissioner Mark Taylor. Thanks again, Malika. The fourth pick in the 2022 NBA Draft presented by State Farm goes to the Sacramento Kings. The third pick goes to the Houston Rockets. The second pick will be made by the Oklahoma City Thunder. And that means that the first pick in the 2022 NBA Draft goes to the Orlando Magic. The Oklahoma City Thunder have done it. I am your host of the Thundersticks podcast, Ben Kreider, and today I'm giving you my immediate reaction to the NBA Draft Lottery. The Thunder not just getting pick number 12, but pick number two in a pivotal lottery and what it could mean moving into the next month of the offseason. And of course, I have a very special offer from my good friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook. So you do not want to miss out on that. Guys, typically when I do podcasts, I have that blueprint set up on what I'm going to talk about. Sometimes I'll have stories kind of at the ready. Sometimes I'll just have those bullet points. Today, there is no script whatsoever because you could not have scripted what happened tonight. Currently, as I'm recording this, it's about 11, so this should be airing in the morning, but this was the quickest time I can get to you all on the lottery. Oklahoma City is no new figure to the number four lottery odds. Last year, they were tied with the Cleveland Cavaliers for the fourth best odds. They won a coin flip. That positive result ended up pushing them to sixth in the draft. The Cavs got pick number three, and they got arguably the rookie of the year or the best rookie and Evan Mobley and Oklahoma City had a pretty diminished draft board. They had Kuminga, Book Knight. Those were the presumptive top two picks. They went with Gideon. It worked out, but they had a shake at some big time players. The top five in that draft class is very dangerous. And even with guys like Gideon Kuminga right there as well, you wanted to be in that action. They got their second chance tonight. Basically the same setup. This time they ran into things with a 3% higher chance of a top four pick. And also they were tied for the top odds due to them not just having their own pick, but having the Clippers pick, which was projected at number 12. Oklahoma City had high expectations last year. Got six, had 16, had 18. The curve tells you that they would have gotten pick number six this year, just like last season. The odds had them obtaining that pick over a quarter of the time. And when you include pick number seven, there was a 42.1% chance of them landing at six or seven. Instead, they dodge that. They get into top four territory and are one of the final two cards to be revealed. Tonight was the best result in OKC Thunder lottery history. They had the number two pick to obtain KD. That came in a Supersonics jersey. 
Gary Payton was a number two pick. That also came from the Supersonics. This was the first time we saw OKC crack into the top three in 12 years. And this is the best they have gotten thus far. Sam Presti said it in his press conference leading into tonight. If the Thunder got that first pick, Carlson was getting a statue. I don't know if he's getting a statue now because it was pick number two, but my goodness, this was a dream situation for the Thunder. Kind of came into this one, me personally, more on the let's see what happens side. Last year, you saw tons and tons of Twitter photos of, let's say, like Jalen Green in a Thunder jersey or Kate Cunningham in a Thunder jersey. I didn't see that many this year. You know, there were some. But leading into lottery night, I think for the most part, people on Twitter were kind of accepting to the fact of the board not just being one, two, three, or four. You know, there were seven guys that people were looking at, and OKC could have gone one through eight with their own pick. Now, you are in serious business. You're basically at the top of the board now, and it allows you to get a premium prospect to play alongside SGA. And for me, my experience tonight was pretty awesome. I went to the down to dunk lottery party this year. I actually went last year as well. And both times have been awesome. The first one was at the mule. It was more of like a tiny um, restaurant. It was packed by the end of that thing. Like whenever the picks were being revealed, I was sitting at a table. You had to like tell people, hey, can you scoot over a little bit? Because there was so many people just standing. And the exact same thing happened tonight. They ended up having this at the Jones Assembly, a very nice venue uh, in, in the back. And we basically got like the last seats there. We got there an hour, probably 10, 20 minutes before the lottery reveal but it was packed and by the end of it you had to be standing for the results because there were that many people yet again they've done a stellar job with that and it was a great time just the the reactions having that whole group of thunder fans right there giving their live reactions on the picks basically the breakdown was this okc they had that first pick with the clippers you didn't want to see it at 14 or 13 you didn't want to see it at 12. If it wasn't at 12, you were going top four with that bad boy. Stayed at 12, whatever. You still have another shot with pick number four. And then the deja vu starts kicking in. Are you going to fall back into that number six pick where, at least in my eyes, I think there's a consensus top five in terms of trade value and overall high ceiling. Six, it changes that dynamics, especially for trades. They get over that. Pick five comes up, and it's the Detroit Pistons. They made it to the commercial break. That's really all you could have asked for as a Thunder fan, by the way. Just having one top four pick, and then you see the cards continue to spew out. The Sacramento Kings, the only team that jumped into the top four this year, was pick number four. Number three strolls around the Houston Rockets. Everyone's going crazy, jumping up and down. Everyone's acting basically like kids, which is awesome. Uh, and at number two, you see the Thunder. But who cares? Who cares? This was, by all accounts, basically 
the second best outcome. You could have got pick number one. There are those situations where you get pick one, pick two, two picks in the top four, whatever. They basically got the jackpot in tonight's drawing. And once again, it kind of tells you that even if you are the last team in the NBA, it doesn't guarantee you getting pick number one. The Rockets got picked two last year. This season, they had about a 50-50 chance of falling to five again. They were able to get that third pick, which is extremely valuable for them. But, you know, there's no foregone conclusions here. For the Magic, they jumped up a spot. OKC jumps up two. The only real loser happened to be the Detroit Pistons going from three to five, but not as significant as we've seen in previous jumps. You know, the last drawing saw the Toronto Raptors soar up a couple seeds. There was no movement in terms of people entering the top four until you got to that seventh pick where Sacramento's not there. You see Portland, which is, that's good. You know, that that's definitely fine to see them at pick seven. I'm not complaining. And then there's nothing else. You know, the, the only real action was right there. And I think that's what happened last year, too, where three out of the four top teams uh, were expected to be in that range. That's just how it goes. Um, Well, I guess, actually, it would have been two because you had Cleveland and Toronto there. But this one was a lot more like chalk, which benefited the Thunder greatly, and it ultimately got them to that grand prize at selection number two. So what I want to do is I just kind of want to break down the significance of this draft pick, some of the options and some of the questions that will be leading into the next month, because you have until June 23rd, as I'm currently talking, there's 36 days and change until you get to the podium, but there's going to be a ton of calls being struck up. And for Oklahoma city, they have a lot of food on their plate and they're able to potentially make some things happen. But before I get into talking about this selection, talking about the potential prospects, the avenues they can go with this, I want to give you all a very special offer from my good friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook. The NBA playoff action is nonstop at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. This week, New customers can bet just $5 on any team to win and get $150 in free bets if they do. With DraftKings Same Game Parlays, you can turn a small bet into a big payday during the NBA playoffs. Create your own parlay by combining multiple bets like which team will win, total threes made, total rebounds, and more, and boom, you have a shot at an even bigger payout. Right now, all customers can place the same game parlay with three or more legs and get a free bet back up to $25 if one leg doesn't hit. Here's what you have to do for the offer. Go ahead and download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN. Bet $5 on any NBA team to win their game and get $150 in free bets if they do. That's promo code TBPN, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Getting onto this pick, though. Let's just talk about the significance this has on the team. Oklahoma City entered this year 
with some structure. They had SGA, they had Josh Giddy, Lou Dortz, Trey Mann emerged as a piece. They did have some areas they needed to improve upon, though. Particularly, you're looking at that front court. You have a group of Darius Baisley, Poku, JRE, Favors, Muscala. You need a long-term fix. This lottery result can help you out big time there. Also, though, you need to look at the power forward and small forward positions. Baisley and Poku have been kind of inconsistent in their own respects there. They're the ones manning uh, kind of that spot. And at the three, you have Lou or Giddy, kind of whoever you want there. But is there that like surefire star to place next to SGA? I don't know. I don't I don't know if you can call Giddy a cornerstone just yet. He's been a major player, but when you're talking certified cornerstones, you're talking SGA right now. You want to get that second cornerstone. And you're able to get that now with pick two. You could have easily seen me talking about Shaden Sharp falling to six or something like that. And that would have been the best case scenario for your high ceiling guy. Now, you're basically getting number one pick value at your selection. The Orlando Magic, they lucked out getting that first pick. They have some flexibility, and you really can't go wrong with the consensus top three. Chet Holmgren, Paulo Banchero, and Jabari Smith. But, you gotta kind of see where they go. I mean, they have Wendell Carter Jr. already at that center spot. Isaac has been injured for basically the last two seasons. Franz Wagner's coming off a good year. They could go for Jabari. They could go for Chet. They could go for Paulo. Who knows? It's going to work for them. Whatever they need, they got it at number one. OKC is guaranteed someone who is electric that fills a positional need for them. One issue that could have occurred had they fallen out of the top four or top five. Hell, I'd say top three is they would have been going solely off of probably best player available and it could have created a log jam because as I'm speaking I mean their backcourt is kind of already loaded and even if you're not sold on all of them they've been deserving of minutes like for example SGA he deserves 35 minutes a game right now Josh Giddy or Lou Dort whoever you want to throw there should probably be getting about 32 minutes Trey Mann has been lethal. You want to continue to develop him. That's a future six-man in the making, microwave score. You need that for runs. And then you talk about other guys who could fill in at the shooting guard position. Players like Kenrich Williams, Aaron Wiggins. There's other guys like Teo Maladon. How does that work? Let's say they were in position to get Sharp, Ivy, whoever. You bring them onto that roster, that is a great player. I think you should go best player available, really regardless right now. Well, that's great, but now you have even more guys that are filling those spots, those two spots, and it's going to tap back into the three. They've already had to do that in selecting two point guards last year. Lou Dort had to play the three, and he's been fine, but what's your next move? Because you'd have to move somebody up. And you're not going to be able to start all these different players. Now, you are going to get, and this is based on if they keep the pick, 
And if they take one of the consensus guys, I know Sam Presti has the tendency to kind of trick people and just go based off of what he thinks, kind of pulling the rug on the media. But Paulo, he can play the four for you. Jabari, he can play the four. Chet can play the four or the five. That's what you needed. And they're able to be that cornerstone. They have insanely high ceilings. You don't get the first pick here, but it's pretty damn close because you're still getting a really good selection and it's not going to cause any setbacks in the rotation. They fit right in, they're able to produce, and they're able to get you a really good foundation leading into next year. And this isn't even talking about the 12th pick, guys. They got the 12th pick basically gift wrapped it shouldn't have been a lottery pick when you think about it the clippers went into the play-in series at like the eighth seed hell they could have been the seventh seed for all i know they dropped two consecutive games and because of the east just being so loaded or evened out this year they had worse records than both the Cavs and the hornets 12th pick you're able to fill another big need here. You have pick 30. You have pick 34. If you want to consolidate picks or you want to package 12 with a different player, go ahead. By all means, you can try to pull the trigger on that. That's another critical piece. I don't think there's a need to trade 2 and 12 to get to number 1, but hell, if Presti sees that option, that's a lot better than having 2 and 16 at your disposal. The many directions OKC could go are pretty damn high. And, you know, there would be a lot of directions, let's say, if they did get six, seven, eight, but they wouldn't be as lucrative. You wouldn't be talking about anybody on the draft board because no one's off limits right now. You'll have one guy off the board, but you don't know who Orlando's going to take. The board would have been shrunken down to guys like Jeremy Sohan. Keegan Murray like these are great players but you know they're not that same caliber and OKC this is a young group they have 17 first round picks up until like 2026 2027 and you just got yourself your second piece already they're running really low in terms of salary they got money to burn they're throwing 20 plus million dollars in an incinerator because of them just not meeting the salary floor that money's going somewhere it's going to the players on the roster but they could have used that for buyouts they could have used that for trades they just didn't want to do it they have all these guys on rookie scale contracts right now the money has not become a big concern they will have to start paying people eventually Lou and Darius are the big ones leaning into next year and Dort could be unrestricted if they don't get an extension done However, you have just gotten yourself another piece and you still have opportunities to go elsewhere. One thing that could be brought up, and I guarantee I'll do a pod on it just because you got to during the offseason, it's DeAndre Ayton. Looked like he was unhappy with Phoenix. It's been a really strange relationship the last year between those two parties. Ayton wants a max deal. The Suns don't want to give it to him. He's not really a perimeter threat right now. I think that's what OKC could use at that five spot. 
but he's very damn solid. OKC has the room to throw that max offer. Does Phoenix really want to throw that offer sheet? If they don't, he could be suited up in a Thunder jersey, and you could seriously be rocking and rolling trying to make a move next season. Now, do I think that's going to happen? Realistically, probably not. It sucks that free agency comes after the draft because let's say you got Aiton. Well, now you know you're taking Jabari or Paulo just to make things kind of gel a little bit easier. It doesn't work like that, but you know, you could make that dream lineup where let's say they take Paulo and they take Aiton. The content for the next month has just become so much more fun because you can start tapping into potential trade packages, prospects, what does it look like at the top of the board? Some of the rumors. Oklahoma City will be in some of the biggest smoke screens this season. We saw last year, there was that little idea that the Pistons didn't want to take Gabe Cunningham. They were looking at Jalen Green heavily, kind of throwing everybody off their game. They took Cade. When OKC got to pick six, I didn't expect them to take James Booknight. I've heard multiple different people say they thought it was a foregone conclusion. He doesn't get taken there. He gets taken in the back end of the lottery by Charlotte. Instead, OKC sneaks in, takes Josh Giddy at pick number six, and they had a secret workout with him. No one knew he was on the radar. Worked out with the Thunder, worked out with the Warriors. No one really knew he was with the Warriors either. There have been some other breaks where OKC has just been so obvious, like Poku, for example. They made that clear as day that they were interested, and they gave up lots of picks. The two first turned out to be Emmanuel Quickly and Jaden McDaniels, actually. But they were able to get that. They got their prospect. Now, there's no real trades really involved. You can kind of just pick your poison at selection number two. But... There's a lot of fun to go with this. There's going to be multiple prospects the Thunder are talking about. And honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if they're mentioning trading back again. It's silly. I don't know if I would do it right now with the odds like Sam has harped about how this is just all luck. Being in this position is really miraculous. It could have been another bad break where you had to kind of go to the drawing board and chasing after Victor for next year would... um would be pretty easy of a task. In their current form, I think they still could be in the lottery hunt. Is it going to be top five all year? I'm not sure. Like if SGA is not injured the rest of the season, like there's no major injuries, I don't expect them to be at, you know, number four again in terms of lottery odds. They could definitely still be in there, but you're going to be shaved. I don't know if they're necessarily going to be in the front lines for the number one pick again. They could jump up the board, but... That's kind of the peripheral you have on it now. And that's why I think you keep the pick. Just because the chances of everything going correctly are very minimal. And now you have the chance to get that star player. Sam Presti said in his exit interview that he was pretty high on this draft class. And for some, people have not been. Like the general idea is that last year's draft class was overall better. Last year was an amazing draft class. We're just one year into it, and there have been gyms all across the board. Typically, you'll see some good players. They're in the first 10 picks, and you might have one stud from the second round. This time, you start seeing undrafted contributors. 
second rounders who are potentially in the rookie team race. And then one through seven, maybe even one through eight, you could say. Definitely one through eight. All of them have been amazing. The only one is Suggs. That's a gray area. But he's shown the ability as a passer. He could turn it up. Like last year is a, a very high bar. But even if it's below the bar this year, that's still a, that could be a hell of a draft class because of how special last season ended up being. And to be at the top of the board and having that scope is going to be gigantic. I'm not going to say right now, like, this is the prospect I want. This is the person who fits best. For me, the way that I view things is that if I'm breaking down a roster and I'm trying to build that contender based on what the Thunder have now, they have that ball handler in SGA. They have some guys like Giddy, who is an amazing passer. He can be your secondary playmaker, needs to work on the shot, Lou Dort, that's a long-term piece for you, Trey Mann, and then you kind of get into some of the others, like JRE and Wiggins as like future uh, long-term bench players, role players, same could go with Poku or Baisley. If I want to construct that team, I want to make sure that there is a dominant sharpshooter, because Oklahoma City has not been a very good shooting team, like they need that help badly, and if you can get that at the three or at the four, that is big. I think the center spot, even though we've seen so many amazing bigs take over games, that's the last one you might want to look at. You definitely want to have a three-point shooting one, though, and Chet could be that guy. Shot 39% with Gonzaga, and there was just play upon play of him dominating from distance. Trailers going into coast-to-coast situations, he was lethal. Picture him alongside Alexei Pokashevsky. My God, dude. But if you get Jabari, I think that makes your floor and your ceiling pretty damn high for next year. Now, is it play-in territory? It might be on the doorstep of 10. But he's going to be that lethal shooter. He needs to work on the slashing skills. That's the one thing setting him back. But he has that ability defensively. He has the jumper. That's a scary combo alongside SGA and Josh Giddy. That's your third piece. And you can worry about filling in that center spot off of trades. You have all these different first round picks. That's how I would address it personally. I think that just in nature, it's going to be a lot easier for you to trade for a premier center than it is for a premier small forward. We saw what it took to get Paul George. The Clippers sent out an arm and a leg. They sent out basically everything in order to get him. And they gave out SGA in the deal as well. Wild, wild stuff. I get they got Kawhi too, but holy crap, man. If you're looking at centers, look at the deal with, I guess, a bonus, you could say. It's a bit different because the the Pacers arguably got the better side of the deal with Halliburton and Heald going over there. But they're just more readily on the market. Like, I don't see an all-star small forward being on the trade market too often. And when they are, there's going to be crazy, crazy competition. Some teams view centers as replaceable. And that's just how it goes. I don't think you have the same sentiment towards your starting small forward or power forward. You need to fill that. And both Jabari and Paulo have that star potential. 
Now, Jabari is much more of that, like, plug-in, sharpshooter. He'll hit it from anywhere on the floor. You look at his hot hot zones, it's basically anywhere outside of that painted area. He needs to work on, like, shooting with his left hand when it comes to driving, but you're not going to find a better prospect from downtown. Paulo, amazing ball handler, one of the top finishers in this draft class, 6'10", 250, dude is running in the paint like he weighs like 220 he has a lot of speed to him he has that size to him it creates some fouls and with the ball handling alone he's so advanced it allows him to turn the corner and make some explosive plays that also suits what SGA and Josh Giddy bring now the dynamics are a bit different because he's not as consistent as a sharpshooter he shot about 33 percent in college but if he ramps it up his offensive ceiling could be higher than Jabari's. Chet. My God. Chet, dude. Rim protection on another level. He's able to give it to you in terms of chase downs and just stand still. Standing reach, I'd imagine, is monstrous. He'll be at the combine tomorrow. But he's dynamic in that sense. We've seen sheds of him being a good pick and roll defender. He can help you with hedges. Picks have just become the new startup for NBA teams. They want to set screen after screen to try to open up options, and, you know, they have. If you're able to have someone to mitigate that and stop your top ball handler, that's huge. But it's also his ability to play on the other end. He's special. You don't see someone with a 7-foot frame with a 6-7 wingspan doing what he's doing. His handle is not very tight kind of to be expected for someone his size he needs to work on that but he likes making contact around the basket he'll finish through contact he's able to get charges amazing footwork three-point shot looked good this year it's not the cleanest looking three ball and i don't know with 100 certainty he's shooting 39 percent in the league but the jumper looked all right okc they set screens all the time, and they use pick and pops all the time. You look at two seasons ago, Al Horford, where did he make his money's worth? It wasn't off of rolling to the basket. He wasn't really a post guy. It was him shooting at the top of the key. This year, Mike Muscala, three-point assassin. You saw him as a trailer in fast breaks where he was able to leech off of that. Olivier Saar was shooting three ball after three ball, Isaiah Roby, JRE, that's where they live and die right now, he plugs in, this is nothing short of a slam dunk for Sam Presti, and for the organization, it's been their biggest payout in two seasons of the rebuild, you look at the trajectory right now and their future outlook, they are ahead of a bevy of teams, I would imagine, they have all these draft picks, they're gonna have if they use the pick, two extremely young cornerstones, Josh Giddy, all these different guys that they are able to work with, and they're just going to be that developmental farm that no one's really going to deal with. They're just going to be on a hotbed. They're going to be waiting to explode and burst onto the scene. Presty's talked about making an arrival, not an appearance. This sets you up for it, and you still might have another season where they are you know, maybe in that lottery conversation and they could make some additional noise as well. 
I keep just forgetting about the 12th pick. But that's also going to give you another chess piece. Let's say they take Chet. They need another small forward. OKC, they're not looking at projected boards. And it's going to sound silly, but some like high ceiling player, why not swing for the fences? I know that it could be a Presti type of deal to get that high floor guy now. That's what they did with JRE. At pick number 12, you could pull a Joshua Primo type pick. Zaire Williams, where the potential's through the roof. They had some holes in college, but you think you can kind of patch them up. That's where you talk about guys like Patrick Baldwin, Leonard Miller. It sounds crazy, but I would not be shocked to see someone take a jab at them early. If OKC sold on either one of them, I wouldn't rule it out. And I wouldn't rule out anybody at pick number 12. That's for damn sure. You can't rule out anybody at pick two because they are always looking at everyone. Presti said that the consensus picks are not always going to be the consensus on his board. You know, the consensus is Chet, Paulo, Jabari. They don't have that, it sounds like, and they're always looking to change it. So I think that leads to additional just, you know, fog in terms of who will get picked. That's part of the process. That's part of the rumor mill, just getting teams kind of off their game going into it. But I think that it's legit. Like OKC, they take who they want, not who's, you know, number one on Jay Billis's best available board. And that's been a pretty good process for them to this point. They've had some strikeouts, but in the lottery, they've been pretty damn successful. Last time they had picked 12, they netted Steven Adams. Last time they had picked two, it was KD for the Supersonics. Campaign is the lone exception at 14, but we'll say the silver lining is if Devin Booker was there, Devin Booker would be on the Oklahoma City Thunder, so they put the knowledge and resources into these picks, and I think it's going to craft a pretty good recipe going into next season. I want to talk about the board once more. I really didn't go 1 through 14. It's kind of just been all over the place in this episode, so I really appreciate you guys sticking with me, but it's Cleveland, Charlotte, OKC, New York, Washington, San Antonio, New Orleans, Portland, Indiana, Detroit, Sacramento, Houston, OKC, and Orlando. So Orlando's getting their top cut. I don't think that Chet is ruled out here. I've seen mock draft after mock draft just recently where it's basically only Jabari Smith. And I think Jabari Smith would be amazing for them. That might be the best fit actually. But they also could slide Holmgren next to Wendell. OKC, they get picked two in Houston. They're probably left with Paulo. All three of these teams get number one type players for what they wanted. That could have been their number one guy on the draft board. It sucks seeing Houston this high because they still have ties in terms of the future drafts. There's still some protected top four picks on the table. There's some pick swaps that might be um, kind of diminished now because of this. However, you know, you kind of keep moving. At least you still have the picks to play with. You did not want to see Houston get there. You're ahead of them though, so who cares, honestly? Sacramento, they could throw in some screwball. You know, you look at their roster right now. They have De'Aaron, Davion. They let go of Tyrese. So, 
I guess they value Mitchell pretty highly. Sabonis is at the five. The four spot needs help. They have Trey Lyles there right now. Harrison Barnes could move up, I guess. Is AJ Griffin a dude you reach on at four? Do you go after Keegan Murray? Shaden Sharp, that's a name I've seen floating around here. Jaden Ivey's the presumptive four pick, but maybe not anymore. I think that he would fill in for Detroit. And if he's there at six, Indiana, that's a hometown kid in Jaden Ivey. They love their hometown prospects. They had that in Victor Oladipo when they traded for him. <laughs> so I bet they'd swoop him. You keep moving down. I mean, this is just a very unique board that you have in the sense that I don't see a lot of positional competition until you kind of get to four and five with Sacramento and Detroit. And then you move on uh, to kind of that other area with Indiana. OKC, they could trade, they could move up. I've seen, you know, the mocks of like, hey, trading up with New Orleans at pick eight, they could use some future draft assets give them a player now indiana at six give them lou dort and pick 12 he's an unrestricted free agent potentially if you really are sold on sharp or ivy still there by some god willing reason pull the trigger on that you get another high potential prospect moving forward and that would kind of actually fix your rotational problems a little bit (laughs) uh, when you think about it but goodness gracious yeah this was one of the best nights in franchise history for the thunder it has been two years that they've longed for a top four pick they're gonna have a really good opportunity here to improve not just for now but the long term they have just propelled like crazy in their trajectory if they were at seven this would have been just a neutral shift year to year and they would have been trying to stick around in asset accumulation mode praying to dear god that something went their way in year three comes in year two and for the thunder they've been in the playoff conversation over and over again prior to last year the last time they missed the playoffs was 2015 and they were right on the doorstep of being the eight seed that year losing is not part of this franchise's tradition they had to start up with that one year in okc the inaugural season where they were able to get james harden out of it and then they went to a 51 team that was crazy that they were able to build so quickly okc through two years has built insanely quickly look at other teams that are in this lottery look at groups such as the pistons or sacramento they have been kind of stuck in this purgatory for a very long time and for them even making the playoffs has been huge okc skipped the line on those teams and for other groups that are kind of on the decline they're ahead of them as well i don't know who i'd pick out of the crowd i think as of right now the jazz have a good unit but if they start tearing things down they're better than them i think they have a better trajectory than the portland trailblazers right now that's where I see it, at least. Um, the Wizards, the Knicks. They're all right, guys. They are definitely all right. And uh, yeah, you have to be just going crazy over the way that this ended. I'm going to be going more into the details of the lottery 
probably in next episode more on the prospects right now kind of just been given my immediate thoughts though you know those three main guys that you could see in this area could get some more like actually smart and reasonable trade offers if they could even be drawn up right now I'm trying to think of some it's kind of coming to me in waves right now during this pod one thing that I said um, during the the draft lottery thing you know these envelopes come by so quickly and that's how it was last year that's how it is all the time they give you an hour of build up for three minutes of opening envelopes and they get back from the commercial break the five minute commercial break and then they just start ripping if you were going to the bathroom well that sucks for you you just missed the entire top four picks they don't give you any time they go right in studio and say hey we got five minutes until the celtics game starts let's go tatum and he goes and you see okc at number two but i thought the kings were the number one pick when okc pulled up at two like everyone was loud like not as loud as picks before that because you wanted to see them being last of course i was still cheering because i'm like hell you got the first pick i was just so out of it i thought the king shot up to pick one and i was like hey honestly okc has the first pick because the kings with their lottery history they end up taking the bust anyways so they would just take one of the mines out of the field and allow okc a smoother pack to a uh, path to a stud it's not like that anymore it's orlando and orlando has done a pretty good job drafting and acquiring since tearing down the aaron gordon vucevic project which happened for five years um but <laughs> yeah uh they'll get through the motions there and okc only says they went up two picks tonight they went up way more than two picks in terms of you know seeding moving forward and that overall outlook I'm going to be talking more about the prospects and and more detailed coverage of OKC in this next month, 36 days, like I said, folks. We're going to have a lot to talk about, and hopefully you all enjoy that. That's kind of my immediate reaction from tonight. Home run, grand slam, whatever you want to call it, OKC is going to be able to get a premium guy this year. They got one last season in Giddy, but now you are guaranteed to get one of those top players, get you an immediate contributor, and get you someone you can call a major part of your future moving forward. That's going to do it for today's episode, though, guys. I thank you all for listening. If you have any questions or topics you'd want to discuss on the NBA draft, make sure to let me know. I'll be doing them all going into next month over here on the Thundersticks podcast. But other than that, though, guys, that is going to do it for today's episode. I thank you all for listening, and I will talk to you all next time. See ya.